Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter the offer code CANADALAND at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. The most hated man in Canadian music, according to the CBC anyhow, is a punk rock bass player, former adjunct professor of sociology and media studies, and record label owner named Paul Lawton. Why is he the most hated man in Canadian music? Uh, It's because of his Tumblr, a blog called Slagging Off, where he slagged off Factor. Factor is where you go for a grant if you are a Canadian musician. The Foundation for Assisting Canadian Talent on Recordings gets about $20 million a year directly from the government, from the Ministry of Heritage, and from radio stations who have to give Factor money. The CRTC makes them. And they are supposed to disperse that in order to, here's their mandate, to support the independent Canadian music industry. What Paul Lawton argued on his blog is that Factor has strayed from that mandate, that they are in fact business class individuals who have set themselves up to live off the profits of middle of the road indie rock. Now that Paul Lawton blog post about Factor, which is probably the most widely shared blog post amongst the Canadian music scene that ever was, it was not just an opinionated screed against Factor. Paul Lawton actually dove deep into the data, the funding information, and Factor doesn't really make it that easy to do so. They're not incredibly transparent. But he went into their annual reports and he pulled information and he compiled it and he kind of proved his argument 
what he was able to illustrate using numbers, using the amount of money that Factor has put out, is that Factor's grants heavily favor a handful of labels and artists. The trend that he was able to illustrate was that a certain genre of music is overwhelmingly supported, indie rock, and a certain proximity. Most of the top 10 labels to get large amounts of money from Factor over a 10-year period were located within 15 kilometers of Factor's downtown Toronto headquarters. So this music fund, which exists for anybody to tap, was supporting certain well-established artists incredibly well. Bands, including Metric and The Trues, had received over a half a million dollars throughout the years. Other bands like Stars were getting six-figure sums. Labels like Arts and Crafts were very represented, not only in the amount of money they were receiving from Factor, but in the fact that they actually were part of Factor, sitting on juries, adjudicating what other artists should get money. What Paul Lawton revealed is a caste system within Factor, and the way it works is, if you are among this elite club of bands and labels, what Paul Lawton calls well-connected insiders, then your grant application gets rubber-stamped. You get big checks automatically. Nobody even listens to your music. But if you're not in that club, if you are among the thousands of other bands in Canada, then you're fighting it out with all of the thousands of bands in Canada for much smaller checks. Who makes the decisions about whether you get it or not? a jury of those well-connected insiders. When this controversy first broke out, Paul Lawton was met with a lot of pushback from the music industry and from Factor, of course. Duncan McKee, the president of Factor, would not sit in the same room as Paul Lawton. He wouldn't debate him directly. And he described Paul Lawton's critique as hearsay. Duncan McKee of Factor, by the way, has agreed to be interviewed by me for a subsequent episode. But today, in just a moment, I will be talking to Paul Lawton. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Ravi Sidhu, Aris Dajigian, Robin Burlingham, Nestor Gollitz, Lisa Levac, Damien Panayi, Trevor, Susan Harris, and Scott Stratton. Scott, why did you decide to be awesome? Because the powers that be need to be held accountable. Not listening to Canada Land would be un-Canadian. I listen every single episode. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. 
but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, who have basically solved the problem of building a website on the internet. Squarespace lets anyone make a simple, powerful, beautiful website in minutes. They have 24-7 support via live chat and email, and it starts at $8 a month. You get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for a year, and what you get is responsive design. You build your website once, it works on tablets or phones, wherever. You get a free online store, e-commerce with every website, and you get access to a huge library of pre-designed cover pages. You just plug in your own text and images and your website will look fantastic. Go check it out at squarespace.com. Start a trial today. You don't have to give them your credit card and you can build your website immediately. When you do decide to sign up for Squarespace, and I'm pretty sure if you try it out, you will decide to do that, make sure to use the offer code CANADALAND. You'll get 10% off your first purchase and you'll be showing your support for this show. Squarespace, build it beautiful. All right, the most hated man in the Canadian music industry. Yeah. How do you feel about that? What's the, uh, is that, is that fair? Um, I, I, uh, in a certain segment of the Canadian music industry, it's absolutely fair. Yeah. I hesitated doing this because, you know, there was a point last year where I was unemployed and I was searching for a day job. And on two occasions, I was told, you're our best candidate, but we Googled you. And the most hated man in Canadian music comes up. Who's yeah. this guy? He's going to come in. He's going to muck rack. He's going to cause problems for us. Ah, Yeah. You know, and I actually remember the man who hired me, God bless him, finished the interview. And he said to me, I Googled your name. I read your blog. And I was like, okay, well, that's nice knowing you. you yeah. know, this is done, right? And he took a chance. It, it, it's it's this weird thing where if you're the one out on a limb saying the stuff, and, and I'm out on a limb because I, in my mind I have nothing left to lose and a lot to gain by talking about the system, which I think could be better and run differently. And when you're the one standing up and you don't have a lot of other people who I know agree with me out of fear of, you know, it's, I don't want to be blacklisted. Yeah. I, uh, I want to get, you're saying this about this. I can't back you on that because I have a record coming out and I got to, you know, and it's the same in any industry where yeah. you're the one standing up going, no, this isn't right. This is corrupt. No one wants to be left out. There's yeah. a lot of money on the table. I hesitate coming and talking about this even right now because yeah. it's like, okay, so it's starting to die down and nothing really happened in the last Six months has changed in any meaningful way. It's still broken, and there's no way for me to benefit anymore. So there's, I guess there's nothing. So uh, CBC Day 6, uh, Brent Banbury asked you on the show. He wanted you to debate uh, the president of Factor, Duncan McKee. What happened there? He wouldn't sit in the room with me, uh-huh. so they interviewed me. Yeah. And then he got to hear that interview and respond to me asynchronously. Uh-huh. And then he was able to kind of like, oh, no, that's wrong. Huh. And so the result of that was that I was done talking about this. Like, I'm I'm not going to go on the record anymore. Because you were attacked as this is just sour grapes from a guy who didn't get any government sour money. Grapes. So the reason why Paul's mad at us yeah. is because his band doesn't merit 
getting that money. This is the catch twenty two, and this, this is, is the catch twenty two. Yeah, it's the catch twenty two of, of a yeah. lot of Canada yeah. stuff. Yeah. Is that the only people willing to criticize the system are those who aren't benefiting from it? But those who aren't benefiting from it can easily be dismissed as sour grapes, bitter people. Exactly. And if they only were good enough to get to benefit from it, then they wouldn't be slagging it well, off. Well, and here's the thing too: is that I have benefited from it. Uh-huh. My bands have received funding. Yeah. After all that stuff happened was the year that I got the most amount of funding. Do you think that that was, like, intentional to show I that don't, they— I don't think so. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I have this band, Ketamines, at the time. Um, we got Pitchfork Buzz and— Pitchfork, which is an influential, influential music blog. And this pains me to say this. It's still the— the one influential music thing. Right. You can have your stuff on Exclaim and you can have your stuff on Stereo Gum and anything else, but it's a good review on Pitchfork. Yeah. And the Pitchfork crew talking about you, which will make or break you. What does that mean? So if you get a low mark on Pitchfork, yeah. let's say you get eight and above is you're playing every festival in the world. What did you get? We got a seven, uh-huh. which is huge. We're like, oh, because we're at this point, I'm, we're in Lethbridge. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. right. So seven, all of a sudden, people are knocking at our door. All right. So you were doing all right. When we're doing you decided all right to take up arms. That's right. Okay. Um, and then we'd been touring. We toured most of 2012. Yeah. And had great shows. Had a every good festival. Like all the good stuff that happens. Let's say I'm a young musician. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my stuff can stand up as, uh, next to uh, anyone mm-hmm. else's. I yep. think that I, I could, you know, if I only had a yeah. chance, if I had a leg up, sure. I could really connect with an audience. I want to break into the industry. Yeah. And I learned that there are government programs and other programs to do just that, to help me get started. Right. So what do I do? You want to know how to get to level two. So level one is every musician in Canada can be level one, which means that you're in their system. You can apply for a limited number of grants, such as demo grants, which is like $1,500. You don't have to have a label to be level one. No, anybody can be level you one. You don't have to have sold any records. You don't have, like, you just you just sign up. I, I could say I'm, I'm a musician and I could, I could be level you, one this afternoon. You put in some, uh, some any press you've got, any radio charting, yeah. uh, campus community, yada, yada, and then you get rated by the factor system, which is an algorithm. Uh-huh. There's not humans listening to my music. It's no, they don't care. It doesn't matter what the music is. This is automated. And there's certain genres of music. It's so so. If you're a classical musician, or if you're a a heavy metal musician, or a, a hip hop musician, you're getting kind of weighted against other people in your genre. And this is where what like the vast majority of bands probably exist as level ones. Yes. Uh, yeah. So so the system is set up this way. So level one, everybody. Level two is capped at 200 artists. I'm in level one. Yeah. Anybody can be in level one. Mm-hmm. I'm just basically ticking off boxes, that, and then the algorithm is going to place me based on how, how much press I've got and this, that, and the other thing. Correct. And then I'm fighting with the largest number of people possible That's for right. the smallest grants. Between 2 and 8% of their entire grant money that's going out the door. So it's the smallest slice of the pie. and, it, and Going to the largest number of musicians. Right. They, they give the most grants at that level. That's right. So there I'm looking at, like, what, like a couple thousand bucks to cut a demo? $1,500. $1,500. You know, for one song, which is reasonable. Like, that's, yeah. you can go to a decent uh, homemade studio and uh, it allows you to probably spend a little bit of money on mastering and all these other things. Cool. No, but, you know, you, you, beggars can't be choosers, right? I mean, if, you're, yeah. if you are coming in with no track record and saying, I want some money to cut a demo, yeah. 1500 bucks could be a big deal to you. Right. But what I'm curious about is, is it just a computer choosing winners or does some human listen to my so, song? In order to get that grant, it's juried. 
Uh-huh. So Factor will talk very proudly about the number of jury members they have from across Canada. Anybody can be on the jury. Anybody? Like the people I've known who've done it have been like music Mostly writers music, yeah. or musicians. That's right. I guess some people would say that's how it should be. Arts grants, you know, government money for arts shouldn't be administered by correct. bureaucrats. It should be distributed by artists. That's correct. Um, yeah. But, of course, then you get into the problem of artists giving money to, you know, if not necessarily the friends that they know, right. then the genres that they are – themselves uh, sympathetic to, which might be the genre that they are practicing. So uh, then you get to level two. How do you get to level two? In order to get to level two, I've got to sell 11,000 records, median number. I have to have a a median average of $44,000 of tour revenue. $44,000. Yes. $1,165 per show. And how many record sales to get to level two? Uh, 11,000. 11,000 albums. That's the medium. Yeah. People aren't selling a lot of albums these days. This is a streaming world. How does selling physical copies through a factor-recognized distributor makes sense anymore. All I know are musicians. Yeah. That's everyone in my whole social circle are all musicians. I don't know personally a single artist who are hitting those numbers. Yeah. You're talking about most working independent musicians who are doing very well. You're kind of already out at about 5,000 right. physical sales. So what do you get if you're level two? So your level two means that you can uh, apply for things like tour funding, marketing. The one kind of thing that is going to help most Canadian musicians the most is tour funding. And, and it's the one thing that most Canadian musicians want. Because these days you're not making money off album sales. Anyhow. You're not making any money off of album sales. But you so can still make money on the road. You can make money on the road. You Kind of. Yeah. So, so if you get to that point, it, it, it's basically how they've set it up is you don't get funding until you don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and what are the size of those grants, level two? So you can apply for a jury's sound recording. You get $20,000 to cut a record or yeah. whatever. If you can prove that you're going on tour by showing them, you know, uh, emails with booking agents and all these other kind of myriad of ways to prove that you've been on the road. Um, that year we got about $16,000 right. in tour funding, yeah. which is amazing for us. Yeah. But if you think about it, my band is a five piece. Right. And the height of our Canadian success where we're going to play, you know, the kind of mid-sized venues in Canada and we're doing, pulling decent numbers and we're averaging $600 a show. Yeah. At the end of that year where we each got factor money, um, each of us got about uh, $2,000. Yeah. It, it seems like a lot of money, $16,000, this, this punk band to go on the road. No, I can imagine you know. the argument from their point of view, though, which is like, look, um, music is the, is the kind of thing where there's an endless supply of people who who, who want to do it. And That's if, right. if you were just giving money to people, even good people, even people who are making decent music, yeah. you would run out of whatever amount of money you had to spend. That's right. So – you know, let's make some distinctions here based on, like, you've, you found an audience. Um, our, our jury that we've carefully selected likes your stuff, and sure. you're doing well. And it's tough out there, so we're going to help you. We're going to give you, a, like, what, what we can. Yeah. Maybe a band that otherwise would have broken up will have that breakthrough, and we will be playing that role of keeping you sure. in the game at level two. That's right. Right. So that's, right. that's okay. Absolutely. It's great. And I've been very clear from day one that I've never been, or I wasn't. Against music granting. Yeah. So what percentage of their total pie goes to level two bands? They used to be able to um, see every, every every quarter they'd put out a list of everybody who 
they've given money to. So when I first did my trouble with factor, you know, critique, it was very easy for me to pull numbers. You're saying they become less transparent? They're well, not, they're not they, offering that they've anymore? They've made a new website and they've basically disabled the ability to search. Like you can search kind of. Oh, someone's got to scrape this data. And that's just it. And the reason why I haven't been as vocal about it is it's harder to prove because it's not transparent. It seems transparent. They did that after your first piece. They did. Yeah. Because they changed their website. They were calling it Factor 2.0. Yeah. Another kind of problem with critiquing the system is it's a moving target. Let's talk about level three because this is the one that actually really caught my eye. Level three is basically blank check. Yeah. Um, You have a grant supervisor uh, who basically if it seems legit like oh yeah that, this is like a music video yeah yeah okay you have a certain there's a certain pool of money that goes into marketing and uh, tour funding or whatever it's, so it's capped at a hundred musicians so this is your metrics your the trues your Mac goods like the upper echelon you're an established enough you've got a label you've got a distributor at this point well so that's a different story though because if you are a level three label you can fund your level one band. Wait, how, a label gets to be – wait. So they have a two label, systems. A label applies to be level – Record labels in Canada go through the same system. So you go in as a record label in Canada or someone putting out music. Okay. You've crossed certain thresholds. Yeah, as a label. As okay. a label. You've hit criteria based on concert ticket sales that have to be a certain kind of sale. they got to be That's a sale through a distributor. So what does that leave out if it's a sale through a distributor? It leaves out you selling your records at – Gigs. Yeah. So basically, it has to be sound scan recognized. I can sell records at my merch table, which is where, if I'm ketamines, who I was, 90% of the records we sold were through merch table. At your shows. Through, you know, we're driving to Saskatoon and yeah. we're dropping off records at the local record store and we're hustling the DIY style. Yeah. I can catch it if I have a membership to SoundScan, which is for an independent musician. Yeah. It's like a thousand a year or something. And I can fax in a sales report for every day. Uh, so I sell a number of records at the at my merch table. Yeah. I can say I sold 200 records today and I get the bar manager to sign off on it. And I fax it into no, SoundScan. They don't take email? You have, do you have to fax it in? You have to fax it in. And the bar manager. So the bar manager signs off. But the bar manager, I've played many shows in my life. I don't think I've ever met a bar manager. If I have, it's no, he's very there counting your he's sales. There. He wants to know because he's a man of integrity and wants to report this accurately to SoundScan. We're making fun, but they have to do it somehow. They have to count it somehow. That's right. So you you get in as a band. You've 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 hit all these posts. You get That's in right. as a label. You've hit all these posts. What do you get? You say it's a blank check. What does that mean? So a blank check means that I put together a budget for marketing. Uh, that, that top echelon, it's, if there's caps and again, the caps change, so you can get this much money per year to do a video, to do tour support, to do production support, to do all of the things that you would do if you were a big band, because the bigger you get, the more kind of people you have propping you up and everybody's got to get paid. So you put in budgets at the top of this and if it's legitimate, then you will get that money. So I'm not suggesting those that there's fraud happening necessarily. I'm saying that you are doing this stuff and you'll get that money. I don't think anything you've written in your critiques has sort of uh, alleged fraud. What you described was a crony system. 
Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the part that really caught my eye, and I think a lot of other people's, is that you, you actually got into the data. It was kind of shocking when you showed that bands like The Trues and Metric and, and their lead singer Solo Project, Emily Haynes, and a handful of others were getting like upwards of half a million dollars right. over the course of the 10 years that you were looking at. Like you say, these are not the acts that necessarily need it. If anybody has you know, gotten that leg up that funding should exist to provide, right. it, it would be a band like Metric that succeeded. But the part that really grabbed me uh-huh. was you documented how close the offices of these labels were right. to the factor offices. Right. And they were all like 15, 16 kilometers away That's from factors. In office. the top 10. Yeah. The companies that are pushing this product are all in the same sphere, you know, and it's— Let's describe this sphere. And there, and there are some problems here that cross over because you, you've got like the indie label Arts and Crafts, one of the top labels receiving the most amount of money. Probably the top label. And they're the involved with factor itself, are they Jeffrey not? Jeffrey Remedios is the— chair of the board of factor. Uh-huh. And he's not uh, the only one, right? Like people who are on the juries are also people who hope to get factor grants and have gotten correct. factor grants. Correct. I think it's worth it to try to figure out what's wrong with this and how it could be fixed and how it could be better. Mm-hmm. And yet I also feel like what we're describing is the same situation <laughs> over again that That's always right. happens. Like there isn't any like jacques, like no one's getting stinking rich off of this stuff. I don't think anyone's getting super rich off of it. I think some people have probably figured out how to game the system. Yes. I think that it started with the best of intentions. Absolutely. I think you can't blame people yeah. for favoring the music that they themselves play or that they themselves release. And people tend to have invisible biases of like, well, yeah, he's my friend. I like his music. But it, maybe he's my friend because I like his music or maybe we're like in the same – like that kind of stuff. People can always make the argument that, that that is an organic kind of thing that happened. I think – you get so far from your original intention, which is what are we trying to do here? Correct. If what all of these subsidies are trying to accomplish is to create an industry yes. and put Canadian content in people's minds and on the air, it's a total success. And the Canadian music, the CanCon scheme is cited by the film and TV industry as like that's what we should aspire to because they have launched. Right. They continue to launch new bands all the time that, that become popular bands. So getting that into the culture so we're not inundated with American stuff has worked. But kind of, <laughs> it's kind of worked. Yeah, and and and, and my counterpoint to okay. that would be, uh, so the North by Northeast Festival, which is coming up. Yeah, if you look at the headliners. Yeah, how many of those headliners are Canadian? Now, there's a lot of Canadian bands playing, and I'm not arguing that North by Nor- Northeast doesn't privilege or showcase Canadian talent. You know, and, and a lot of Canadian music is getting bigger and bigger. My favorite example is. Uh, Mac DeMarco, who I knew as a kid in Edmonton, and now he's super famous in the U.S., um, was cut out from granting until he was getting huge buzz south of the border. Yeah. And over and over again, it's the same, maybe the same system as where uh, once you start getting recognized south of the border, then it's then we'll start yeah. put, throwing this money at it. Like, like, this is the like, one that I, I think, correct me if this is wrong, but... I, I got the sense, and I've heard it said elsewhere, that Arcade Fire couldn't get anything going in Canada. Until, yeah. And then KCRW in L.A. fell in love with them, and they started to get play in the States. And then we were falling over ourselves to give them every grant. They get the Pitchfork Best New Music. Yeah. Because they're frequently cited as the band that Pitchfork made. Yeah. So the height of Pitchfork was them uh, giving the Arcade Fire to the world. Well, this this is my second point, which is, like, if arts funding is about— 
uh-huh. finding the best person out there doing the most innovative thing. Yeah. And helping them. If you look at the great artists in history, did all the other artists who preceded them love them? Right. They're usually like derided and despised by, you know, artworks and revolutions. Sure. And I don't know that that's something that funding can even address, you know? I I think you're wrong about that. I, I I think you're right to say that challenging music isn't always for the people and that people generally won't, you know, on mass glom on to things that are challenging and you know I've seen that through my entire career in music but there's so much money being thrown at a relatively small number of people now factor will argue that point but when you start to look at the big labels their sub labels their full-time grant writers who are employed by all of the labels if you're yeah. a big label in Canada and you your top position is a grant writer. If you're a big festival in Canada, your top most important person is the grant writer. By what? What do you mean? They get paid the most, or they're like it's who keeps them alive? Yeah. If we were to take away Factor tomorrow, which I think we should, like just tear it all down, get rid of it. Yeah. And then let's see, give it a year and see who's left standing. The whole thing crumbles. The whole thing crumbles, meaning all the labels, the that, big labels. Those who labels are, are so dependent on factor money that that's what keeps I would them say in entirely dependent. Arts and crafts puts out lots of great music, you know. Sure. And, and there was maybe a time when they were more relevant than they are now, when they were about connecting with an audience and they were on the vanguard of a certain kind of music. But when you're getting a lot of your financing mm-hmm. from a government agency or you know whatever right. uh, uh, an agency that's spending government money. And that's dependable money. And as you know, right. then that becomes what you're there to do. That becomes your sole reason for existing. And that's why you see those big labels starting sub-labels. You have the system where the, the bands and labels at the top of the funding pyramid were the bands and labels that were successful before the music industry was decimated by digital yeah. sharing. So you're able to kind of keep it going. Oh, your grandfather. You mean the your ones, grandfather once you get to level three, you're level three for life? Is that? My understanding of it is at this point in time now, yes. Uh-huh. But that I have heard through friends who are friends of people who work at big labels, who were grandfathered and who haven't had a hit in a while, that it's starting to be, you know, time's up. And good. <laughs> you hear this in Canadian funding a lot. It's like, well, you've had your turn. You've had your turn. Now it's uh, someone yeah. else's turn. But that turn has lasted for yeah. for some of these uh, decade or, or more of just at the trough. You're able to just keep getting money. And then the more money you have, the more chances at, at bat you have to put out more stuff. Like nobody got into this mm-hmm. with an idea of like, this is where the big bucks are at. I'm going to become <laughs> yeah, a level not. three label and and then I'm going to bilk the system until, for 10 years until they catch up with me and then I'm out of work. People get into music because they love music, Absolutely. right? And yeah. the people who, who got into that level three status, some of them anyhow, Really, were probably really innovative and wonderful for their time, but you get soft and lazy when the like. We used to in the tour van, we had Sirius, and we'd play this game where we put on Radio Three, and it would be how long can you stand this? And the person who <laughs> who presses stop it loses, so you have to endure. Yeah, and it's a very specific sound with very specific production values. I'm saying this as someone who genuinely actually likes indie rock. Yeah, like my. All-time favorite band is Guided by Voices. It's a indie rock as it comes. I mean, I play 
in kind of pseudo indie. Like, but that's before indie rock became an easy listening format. That's correct. So you have this like adult alternative. You yeah. know, you could play most of the bands at the top echelon of the Canadian funding system to your mom and mom would be down. Yeah. She's like into it. Oh, I like this one. You know, a lot of people in my office listen to that kind of the mainstream indie stuff as it's the new kind of mainstream pop. There's nothing weird about it. There's nothing challenging about it. And I'm not saying that it's bad because I want to avoid the subjective, as you say, because I think it actually um, takes away from any of these critiques because you can look at me, well, this guy's just hates this kind of music, which I absolutely don't. Yeah. I listen to everything. Yeah. And I listen to everything that's up and coming in the Canadian music. I'm interested in it. And I'm always hoping to be challenged by something. I'm, I'm hoping to be intellectually stimulated by some of this music. And frequently I'm disappointed. So should we have this stuff at all? No. Is the answer. In its current state, absolutely not. I think it's you, what you describe is absolutely true, where you get a bunch of people who have benefited greatly and they get to this point where they become reliant on it and everything gets soft and flabby, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's good for music. And my whole career has been surrounded by musicians who don't even know that this world exists. I think the real problem that you've put your finger on is. It creates a sick system. And if you're like, you know, if you're entering into it and you see like, I'm trying to get a leg up and it's not fair that this other band gets rubber stamped. It's not fair. I mean, I personally, as a musician, have made the decision. I will no longer play uh, North by Northeast, you know, and and what's wrong with North by Northeast? What's wrong with Canadian Music Week? There's different reasons. I I have different problems with both of them. Um, I find Canadian Music Week to be more or less exploitative of musicians. I met this randomly, this musician who flew in from Calgary to play his first show ever at Canadian Music Week because he applied and they rubber stamped him in and he got a showcase at 2 a.m. somewhere north of Bloor on a Saturday night, the last day of the festival and sold him in on all these conference packages. And it's like, you're going to come and learn about the way we do it in the big city. And you know, them bragging about, you know, we have 1,000 bands at this thing. And that seems great. Like, that's a lot of music. And I love music. So a 1,000 bands, that's got to be amazing, right? I, I'm going to come to this thing and just music coming out of everywhere. And it's at this thing where the only way that the music is music economy in Canada is healthy is the festival system. But they get bigger and bigger and more bloated and more corporate sponsored. Well, every one of those thousand bands had to pay to get there. Yeah, exactly. Did they have to pay to apply? There is an application fee to apply. It's not a lot. So there's probably 10,000 or 100,000 bands that pay that. Um, Yeah, and and then a a thousand that get in and uh, they're playing to nobody. Yeah, because there's a thousand bands playing. Because there's a thousand bands and everybody just wants to go see the Jesus and Mary chain yeah. play Psycho Candy in its entirety. They're not going to be north of Bloor checking out a, a guy whose first show. And I remember him telling me this, which would blew my mind at the time. It's like, they are only giving me a half an hour set. My set's an hour and a half. And it's like, whoa, like you have no business being here. It's just thousands of dollars to play for a half hour to an empty room. To a completely empty room. Yeah. I don't know that. I, I mean, guess I, you can say I played North by Northeast after that. So it, okay, it's I'm sorry that you could on say, your resume. I, I, you play I, I played Music Week. Canadian Music Week. Is North by Northeast the same kind of thing? I, I, the difference between uh, North by Northeast 
and Canadian music with North by Northeast is taking a lot of money from big corporations now. Yeah. And none of that zero of that dollars is filtering down to the local bands who kind of prop it up by support and playing out all these bills and everything else. Do they take money from the artists in the same way that you're saying Canadian music? So you have to apply for it. Yeah. But you don't get paid. You get paid in a wristband. You get to go see other bands. You get to go see other bands, Uh which seems good – but it's because of the system where there's so many bands trying to knock it at the door that they can get away with it. And this is the system at most big festivals is we're going to pay you in wristbands. Yeah. And, and so I'm exchanging. I'm giving you my credibility to play Budweiser Presents the House of Music at the Horseshoe Tavern to nobody versus playing a week later at the Horseshoe Tavern and getting – Money, like, yeah. what am I getting out of that outside of maybe a resume fodder or my name in three point font on a poster? Like, it, it's not a fair exchange. And if again, music is a commodity whose value is zero, maybe now, uh, then I get to choose maybe on on what I exchange that for. So I get to exchange my name for for causes that I support or things that right. I believe in versus playing a Fleshlight sponsored showcase. Does that I'm exist? not into. Yeah, well, it's the Fleshlight comedy showcase. Okay. But, okay. I mean, that's another whole world that's <laughs> maybe more depressing than music. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll go there too. <laughs> so what what would you do if you're starting all over again? Because all of this stuff that is. Uh, made it so difficult to sell albums has also made it so you can you can reach audiences all over the world. You can yeah. connect with fans in interesting ways. You can get funded directly by your fans. Sure. Is that the kind of band you would build if you were starting from the ground up? Um, and if you were like 16? I, I think it's more what I'm, where I'm going again now, which is there was a time where— Where are you going again now? Your label's done, but you're— I work at a communications firm. Okay. So like all media people— You got a day job. <laughs> we got a day job, yeah. right? A, a really good day job, which I'm very happy. I do. I mean, it's re- never been easy. It's I never been research. easy to be no, a musician. There's no system be. that makes it easy, right? No, you're right, and there's there's no shortcuts to it. Like all this just seems like horseshit. Like wasting time with grant applications and all these. Like, doesn't it seem like you should, you should like yeah. if you play music and you develop an audience, yeah. and you build a relationship with them, yeah. There's probably some way to make that viable. Yeah, or maybe not. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't matter anymore. I have a day job. As my bandmate puts it, he works in an advertising agency. I have an unethical job so I can make ethical decisions. And it's kind of this thing where, you know, we're in a band. I'm in my mid-30s now. Um, My new band got signed to a very well-respected punk label and – we have records coming out and it's like, – things are good. Maybe the difference is that that other side doesn't actually exist well, one unless thing that, you win the lottery yeah. and you get that breakthrough moment where the chance of that happening, especially for me now in my mid-30s, minuscule. Yeah, but you know what? It's just, the whole thing was based on – you know, we still have this idea that like, oh, you haven't made it until it's your full-time job. Correct. What, what if you do this and it's your love and your passion yeah. on your weekends and you go on tour once a year and, 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 and at night and you love it and it works and it's viable because you're selling enough stuff and you're connecting with people enough and they're funding you enough to keep it going. Yeah. And you get to do it not for like the minute when you're the flavor of the month but indefinitely because you love to do it. And that I think applies to so many creative pursuits. Right. I think since I've switched my brain back to that yeah. exact thing, 
I'm so much happier. Yeah. I'm way less cynical. I go to shows again and I'm not just completely jaded and cynical, which I was at a certain point when I was, we're playing festivals and I'm just drowning in live music. And it's just like, everybody's chasing the same thing that maybe doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah. Even for the bands that like made it, like they, they, you know, creatively they fall off after a while, most of them. And then it's like, do, do a few people in the band legitimize themselves and become producers or become, sure. I don't know, bureaucrats at Factor or something like that. Right. Like that, like that's how you get permanence in the industry. Well, the only way to make music in the music industry is by not playing music. To make money in the music industry? The only way you can make a living. Yeah. Playing in the in a band is the worst thing you can do. Working at a label or a studio or something reliable, you can make a living. And and I and I know people that do and are very very happy. Yeah, it's just it's it's a different world, you know. And and that's okay. Yeah, I definitely think that artists should be able to make a living. And in a world where that's becoming more and more impossible as like music as a commodity reaches zero. I don't want to take that away from anybody. I don't want people to be left out. I, I want people to be able to play music who are good musicians and earn a living. But at what point do we look and go, okay, you've had your turn or what are some other ways we could use this money by, let's say, uh, funding studios across the country and the territories so that bands can actually go in and they're not, it's not, we're going to give you $1,500, but we're going to give you time to develop. That I could get behind. Like, if we are going to put government money into developing the arts, mm -hmm. creating access to recording space, creating access to music instruction, creating access points where people could express themselves that way right. and learn about music, who wouldn't just absolutely right. cheer for something like the that? The age of physical media is over. Yeah. Let's build a system where— Concert venues. Let's like, do venues where where there, we rebuild the infrastructure for touring musicians, which has been decimated. Yeah. For me, as someone who's traveled coast to coast countless times in a van, every year it's harder. Yeah. Because popular music doesn't have the same cachet as it once did. And especially when it's this world of, of super popularity or nothing. Yeah. You know, we only want the hits because there's just a thousand bands coming to town. And I have no way. I tried to the, that year listen to every single band playing Canadian Music Week, and I only made it halfway through the list. So maybe let's build the infrastructure and let's change what merit and success means. Yeah. And we could do that because the amount of money sitting at the on the table here right now would absolutely support that system. Thanks very much. Yeah, appreciate it. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The website is canadalandshow.com. And the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. And Canada Land Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like this show, support it. 
Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.